This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Marcus and Alan, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. Welcome to another edition of the Sea to Sky podcast. My name is Marcus. I'm here with Alan, and our guest today is Darren McCartney with uh, Remax. And this is our basic our housing crisis part two. And uh, Darren is more on the uh, developmental side. And um, we have him here today to basically, we try and do a three-facet prong approach to this. First, we talk to council members about the uh, development plan and how we're looking at um, development in Squamish. Uh, hopefully, we'll get one on the, uh, the, the personal buyer side. But of course, on the industrial side, the commercial side, Darren is the local expert. And um, we're, we're hoping to get some good material today because we, we know Darren is unabashed. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. So kicking off, uh, Darren, why do you think there is a housing crisis in Squamish? Uh, I think what we're dealing with in Squamish is no different than anywhere in the lower mainland. There's just simply more people than um, than we can house. Right. I mean, it's, it's that simple. And so, yes, we've got new influx to the area and, and people drawn to the area. But I think at the end of the day, we're getting a combination of local people um, not being able to find housing that's affordable for one. And then secondly, we're just getting people displaced from the lower mainland and other areas, um, you know, that, that need to find a more affordable place to live that have been finding their way to Squamish. And that affordability gap is obviously closing. Uh, and I think that then we've got our natural migrants to the area that, you know, have the ability to purchase and, and are coming here. And so it just really constrains supply. Uh, at a staggering level, really, when you look at it, like, I mean, um, you know, people say in Vancouver that we're still 18 months behind on inventory, regardless of any initiatives that are in play. And that's that's pr pretty, pretty alarming um, when you look at the realities of that. Right. Like apparently the rental units that they're planning on building in Vancouver um, will deal with 25 percent of the crisis demand or something like that. Right. And there I mean, you look at Vancouver, they've got the resources to execute on these things. We're a small town. It's tricky to get projects off the ground and, and, and uh, keep them moving, right? So. Yeah, when, when affordable housing in Vancouver is, you know, is considered like $3,700 is considered affordable housing in Vancouver. And yet, they, you know, you have an ability to expand, like you're saying, like they have room to move, grow in, in a town in Squamish where um, I, I think $3,700 is, is quite a lot of money for a small town. You know, that's not really affordable living. No, yeah, and you're, you're at a point now where, I mean, off the top of my head, I deal mostly with newer product and so that that's what I'm in touch with, but I do pay attention to the rental market and, and I talk to the property managers just for various reasons. And I mean, a two bedroom basement suite is going to be a minimum of 15 to 1600. Really the market average is more like 1800 to two grand now for like a two bedroom townhome say, and you'll easily be 2,500 or more on a three bedroom, right? Houses. I, I don't have the numbers on, but um, that that's far from affordable at this stage of the game. So, you know, everybody's flagged the issue, you know, whether it be counselors, planners, local residents, people that are at the the short end of that stick. Um, and I mean, the key is, you know, what can we do to moderate that? I mean, that that's the question. Right. So um, and it's not a simple one. Right. So. Well, we don't have the pro or maybe we do have the problem uh, that Vancouver has in that when people when we get these developments and units are built, if people are build, buying them for an investment, they do tend to get rented out. Am I correct in that? Absolutely. Right. As opposed to Vancouver, because I have a friend who lives downtown and she says, you know, from October to May, looking at the buildings around her, it's a ghost town. Those buildings, those con all those new condo, condo towers are dark. Yeah. I mean, here from what I've seen, and I, I do sell projects and my, you know, people on my team keep in touch with the other project marketers in town. And I mean, if I had to throw a number on it, I'd say that the investor purchase range is somewhere between 10, per, 10 to 20 percent of inventory, which is kind of on the lower side. When you think about it, we've got a lot of occupants buying here, which is great. Um, but we've got a very small percentage of people where it's second home and stuff. You get the parents who've got their kids living here who get the second home that they might rent out. They might not that kind of thing. But really, the, the multitude of purchases are either an end user or an investor. Right. Right. My, my point being that the, one of the problems with Vancouver that we don't have here in Squamish is that when projects do get built in Vancouver, they're not necessarily adding to the housing inventory because nobody's living in them. They're a second part-time home for somebody, you know, somebody in Shanghai or Dubai. Whereas here in Squamish, at least if it's an investor home, they're actually putting it on the rental market. So it's so a lot of these projects. Cause I think what happens in, in my experience and discussions on council, they talk about rental housing, versus 
you know, strata titled uh, multifamily. Whereas those are confused because a lot of times those multifamily strata projects are adding to the rental pool. Oh, no, absolutely. And I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I'm I'm a pragmatic person. I think you have to do what works, right? And so when there's an opportunity to induce rental inventory to be built, it's rental specific. uh, And on some of the larger projects, some of the developers are are prepared to step up and do that. That's a a big community deliverable for for them to be willing to do that. But um, we should always be supportive of market inventory because market inventory or percentage does go to rentals ultimately through the investor pool. The numbers are strong here for rents. And the more inventory we have, the better chance we have at least moderating rental increases. I don't think we're gonna be able to get them down in any event. And um, you know, uh, those end users are, are would be renters in many cases that are getting taken out of the market as well if they're at the entry level to the market and more in the condo market I'm speaking to, right? So um, I definitely think that, and I, and I think in, in fairness, I do think that this group, this council has been pretty supportive of inventory and so density density has been a priority around the service areas. And, and I, I, I've got a fair amount of active files, like, you know, that they're, they're not necessarily loud. Some of them are, are more obvious rezonings and stuff. But I, I've, I've found collectively that they are supportive of density. They're definitely trying to, to nail down, you know, the rental inventory and the affordable housing and those things where they can. And my only comment would be, you know, on the bigger sites, there's room for that. I think sometimes on the smaller sites, it gets challenging to knock off all the all the the items on the wish list, so to speak. And so in those instances with smaller projects where they're just not getting the density upswing that would provide for a feasible ability to deliver those things that, you know, that we take cash. Right. And and I think that happens. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. I'm just saying that that's. You know, if that's the direction we're heading, that's a good direction, in my opinion. Well, right? the next question would be, like, how much densification are we looking for? Like, how dense do we want to be? I mean, because I mean, Squamish has that reputation of being a, a recreational place. It has its own identity. So if you start packing in homes as much as you can, one, you're going to be affecting the infrastructure. Uh, and then property taxes will be going up because there's no diverse uh, space that bring in other money into the district. Right. So, I mean, if you're going to stack everything with townhomes, is that necessarily, you know, fitting for Squamish? Or, I mean, is, is there money in that? or should we be diversifying the density into other areas well i mean with the density we've got limited supply of land like you pointed out which is which is very fair comment um i agree with the general policy that they've they've gone with at the city which is to to allow for the density in those areas that already have services that don't need to be substantially upgraded and when when they do need to be frequently the developer will foot the bill for that or the dc dcc charges will cover it um, but I do see even uh, it, it's a it's a very challenging situation to navigate because on the one hand, we've got people saying, hey, this, you know, I, I want to be able to live affordably. I want to raise my family. I want to have a, a, a fair lifestyle here who need that inventory to keep coming, both rental affordable and market inventory in order for things just to get pulled back under control. And then there's the people here who have a lifestyle already that they don't want substantially compromised. And I don't think we're going to be able to get both, you know, there's going to be a place in the middle where, where it has to be. But one thing I can guarantee you is, um, you know, the current inventory that we're releasing, which is really ramping up from what we're ever used to, um, will not be enough to, to back off, um, rental pricing for sure. Um, on, you know, the market in general, you know, maybe there's some rebalancing right now, but I'm not a firm believer that we're about to see a substantial correction, right? But so. there's so much density that could be, be built. I mean, when you're talking about infrastructure, the thing is Squamish has, what, 50, 60 acres of brownfield development sites, prime water, you know, waterfront landing and the oceanfront lands. What I, I don't know how much of that. I think it's about 60 acres. Am I... Uh, it might be bigger than that. Yeah, actually, actually I think it is yeah. bigger than that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking about, and that if we build that to high density or fairly high density, we're talking about a lot of inventory there. Oh, no, for sure. And I, I love the condo density continuing downtown and maybe a few other pockets where it makes sense, like the Garibaldi Village area, you know, Brandon Park, where, wherever you can put it, where it's not going to kind of, I don't like, uh, I'm not a big fan personally of dropping substantial density into like a, an existing, say, single family neighborhood where it's a huge di- disruption to their way of life. And it is a value detractor and people shouldn't have their value detracted. Like, I mean, it happens and, and you know, we can't control that indefinitely. But I think if we're stacking the density in those areas where we've got transit, we've got walkable shopping, all that kind of stuff, you know, trail access, it, 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 
it's the best place we can make sense of. I agree there's a lot coming downtown. But one thing that people need to keep in mind is it's all condos coming downtown with the exception of a handful. I mean, fine, waterfront land, and they're going to build a bunch of townhomes. Those will sell through. But townhomes have become the new single family for the lower mainland. And yeah, so, I've heard, heard that many to- times. To- yeah. Totally, right? So if you've got two kids, a dog, mountain bikes, windsurf board, like a condo is just not going to work for you, right? You're either going to be a tenant or you're going to buy a townhome if you can't get in the single family market, which has gotten, you know, pretty ridiculous, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like basically we have to live with the fact that we're living in townhomes in a, in a place like Canada where we have so much space that's kind of, you know, I mean, if you living abroad, if you go to Europe and other places, yeah, that's 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 the norm. But for us here, that's kind of, you know, it's odd to think that we can only afford townhomes now. Right. So this is where you're going to get the pushback. Uh, no, I, I, I agree. And um, I actually think the townhome sectors, I know there's been a lot of townhomes in a lot of people's minds when they look around. I think it's one of the areas that um, we need to make sure that we provide more density for because I've watched townhomes through my existing sales cycle on a project go from 600 grand to 800 grand in two years, right? That sounds crazy. Yeah, when we say it's the new single family, we didn't mean that it was going to match single family prices. No, and that's exactly what's happening, yeah. though. Is Squamish has always been a price point sensitive market. We're dealing with a price point sensitive economy now, like as far as that, that buyer segment anyways. And um, when you look around, it's all about price, right? You can go to North Van, you'll find the same thing where single family has gone up, but the condo, the attached pricing has gone up even that much more. And it's got nothing to do directly with the initial land economics. It's got everything to do with people charging what they can get away with and, you know, people maxing out what they can afford to buy based on land supply, right? Yeah. So it does come out in land values over time. But, I mean, that that's what's happened. And so um, it's a very challenging thing. And, and uh, you know, Marcus made this point about, okay, do we want to be this or do we want to be that? They're, they're important questions because... Um, there's probably nothing that we can do as a community to stop prices from going up and rents from going up and, um, you know, adding rental inventory, controlled rental inventory. I'm totally fine with that. I think, um, supporting that, uh, and making feasible, you know, um, initiatives to, to allow developers to do that is fantastic. Um, and you know, I think that they're doing a good job of, of asking for this. And, and my only comment again is just like, you know, Cash in lieu is just as good as long as the calculation makes sense and we can put that money into some sites that we control and manage because, um, you know, you know, it's, it's just from the development standpoint, it, it could slow some developments down. I think I think we're fine. Like the market's strong enough right now. But you might find if there's a leveling in the market, that kind of thing, if there's too much of a rental focus on a smaller project, that could be a little bit more challenging to execute on. When you say controlled rental inventory, do you mean a, a housing authority like they have in Whistler? Um, you know, right now, I mean, there's, there's standards like through CMHC for affordable rents and, and stuff like that. Uh, for me, I've never been, uh, personally a big fan of like creating another government body to regulate housing. I think it's complicated. I think it costs money. Maybe it works in Worcester. Maybe it doesn't. I don't have a strong opinion on that. I don't have a lot of knowledge on that, but for me, I love inventory being released to the market. And if you could find a way to police that which you indicated should be controlled, um, you know, uh, without actually creating a local body, that would suit me fine for sure. Because, um, you know, to start paying someone, I don't know what you have to pay one person to manage all that. You know what I mean? It could add up very quickly. And we don't, you know, the, the rental inventory doesn't really exist right now. Like, you know, if we end up with 30, 40 units, that's not a single property manager's job, right? So it's really just about regulating the rentals on that. I'm just wondering if there's another way it could be done. I don't want it to get complicated. I want it to be simple for developers too, right? So so they can come yeah. in and, and know what they're dealing with and how to execute on it. So if you're building a rental building, you want to know who you're dealing with and how it's going to work probably, right? Well, last time we had this discussion, we had a couple of counselors on and they were both advocating for the for some sort of housing authority, which I, I'm more in line with your view. I don't think another level of government bureaucracy is the way to go because it just ends up being something else the government has to pay for. And as we've seen in Whistler, has it, you know, their housing crisis is a lot worse than ours. So at the end of the day, it comes down to if you don't add another level of government, then the existing levels should have a level of control. They should have enough teeth behind their regulations. So when you look at OCPs and you look at all the development plans, would you say the district's going in the right direction or would you say something else is going on there well for like for me i'm you know i think that the the current revised ocp like supports density in those key areas which i think is a step in the right direction 
Um, you know, like we were chatting about earlier before we got on the mic here, like I think one of the biggest challenges communities had is our OCP um, hadn't been refreshed in a long time. And we've had so much development interest out of nowhere, just tip and, and come to the area that we've been trying to manage these, you know, multifamily applications without kind of understanding what we want to look like. And so the fact that that's actually a big accomplishment from a management perspective moving forward, that this is done because it gives us a starting point, right? And there's going to be OCP amendments, there's going to be revisions, but at least we have a guiding document that kind of is more in line with what we're thinking. Um, I, I like the density areas that they proposed. Um, I, you know, I feel that, um, you know, right now, this is just from a market perspective, I can't, I can't sew it back to the OCP because I'm not intimate enough with some sections, but um, I think that we're potentially light on both single family and townhome inventory. I know a lot of people look at me and be like, well, what are you talking about? There's, you know, all these, these townhomes coming at Waterfront Landing, a couple other sites. But, um, you know, 60 units is six months inventory if you're lucky right now, right? If, if, like maybe three or four months inventory with the appetite for sales. My understanding is like, you know, the registrations are still very strong on, on these projects that are launching and so forth. And, um, you know, if we don't try and feed part of that appetite, at least, um, it's going to get more complicated because, you know, we're going to have condos and single family. That's a big gap. And there's, you know, it'll it actually kind of change the makeup of the community from what we know today as well. So I really think it's important to find the places to make townhomes work. And, and I don't have a specific site I'm pointing to because um, it's tricky because land assembly is expensive. And so it's tough to make sense of taking out single family existing homes to turn to townhomes. And then the acreages that we have that are undeveloped in most cases are, you know, in areas that it's just probably not appropriate. Like, you know, some of the exterior reaches of Brackendale or I, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. There's just not a lot of land to work with. Right. So it's 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 tricky, but it's something we need to be thoughtful of, because if we don't feed that single family inventory, we're just going to create a larger gap or townhomes are going to be 900 instead of 800 a year from now. You, you could see I well, I could see some land assemblies in Brackendale. There's definitely a lot of older houses there that would make sense for a multifamily development, I, I think. Oh, oh, I know. The land is there for sure. And whether or not you can get the neighborhoods behind it, that kind of thing. And, and I, you know, I, I, I would be in, you know, anyone who says they're not a NIMBY is, is full of it. The minute there's something going on over the fence of your family, you are a NIMBY and that's fine, right? Because it's okay to, it's okay to care about your lifestyle and how it's impacted, in my opinion. And so I think in those areas, you know, it, it's trickier, but I mean, yeah, I agree with you. There's probably some, some real opportunities in Brackendale for that type of density. But you, you I mean, it, it, we're so t it's so tough here. Like, you know, we've got the Chikai fan. I mean, you know, there's some really challenging issues in, you know, North Brackendale to attend to before substantial development can take place. And I'm happy to see, you know, that, that property move forward up on Ross, whatever, you know, that um, joint venture. Um, I think it would be great to see that inventory come to town. It would single family and townhomes. That would be fantastic. But it's just complicated. I don't know if that'll happen. You know, like it's tricky stuff, right? So just to change tack a bit, another thing that came up a lot when we had we last had this conversation with the two counselors, two sitting counselors, was that we need to balance not just housing, but housing and commercial property. Work work lands, industrial lands. Uh, you know, one of the big knocks against Vancouver, in fact they had to put a halt to it in the downtown peninsula they had to stop residential development because they were losing all the commercial property so you can't build uh it's extremely limited uh where you can build residential downtown now yeah no and and absolutely right and and i mean squamish we're we've got the same issue in a big way right uh, we're trying to create employment and we're probably a commuting community forever um you know we're just trying to trying to hold that back as much as possible uh, you probably couldn't find a larger, my primary living is from commercial real estate. So, you know, if there's commercial real estate coming to market, I'm happy. That's good for me and my family, period. Um, but one thing I'm cautious with is to make sure we do it in areas that make sense, right? I love it when we induce large amounts of inventory. I think what's gone in the business park, City Sky Business Park, some of those areas is great. Um, you know, last year I, I was involved in some properties where we worked through a new mud zone, like a mixed use zone, where we've kind of got some transitional product where it transitions to the residential neighborhood. I'm excited to see that come around. Um, we need more industrial land inventory. You know, I would hope one day to see the BC Rail land subdivided. I don't know if that's going to happen in 5, 10 or 15 or 20 years, but I think that's one of the biggest end game opportunities for job creation in this town. 
because if you look at the jobs per acre, I don't have a number for you, but look at City Sky Business Park. We're going to have 100,000 square feet on 7.5 acres there, and there is a lot of employees. There's, there's going to be, you know, it'll be in the hundreds by the time they're done, like not in the tens. And um, that's on seven and a half acres, right? So when you've got 100 acres, it's important to facilitate large industry that integrates with our transportation and the port and so forth. But um, if a lot of the land is sitting vacant, there's probably an opportunity there. I'm not sure if it's in line with the VCR mandate or not. I don't know what their, what their intentions and plans are. Um, I have no idea how that all comes to politics coming together there. But at the end of the day, that's a big opportunity. Because aside from that, we've got the Chikai fan for industrial and that's it, right? Um, I like the fact that we're encouraging office space downtown. I think it's important. I think there's limits to how much supply we can handle at a given time. And so um, I think when we, you know, it, it's the same as the rental housing thing. And the rental housing thing is not as tough because the, the rental market is so strong. Um, even though vacancy is low right now for commercial space, like zero, there's a real, for a developer to make money on office, you more or less have to be charging 20 bucks a square foot. The market seems happy at about 13 and so it's only those successful businesses that need to expand that are ready to step into that. And so I'm not saying we're not ready for more product. We are, but we, we can't take 50,000 feet at a time. It's too much. But that's what Ted, I think Ted mentioned, I think, in the last podcast we were talking about. When you know, business come in, or I think it was uh, one of the two counselors came in and said, like, if you want to start a business in Squamish, you need to be up and running. You need to go. I think it was Susan. She's the economist, right? So it's basically like you need to be up and running. You need to go because the overhead is there's a lot of overhead. The rent is high. The costs are high to come here in Squamish. So, and so if you do get space, you have to go go hard and know what you're doing. So that's not really fair for the locals who wants to maybe start their own business, I guess, because the space is not here. So what what's what is what can we do to attract? basically the the industry to come in here because at some point right now would say everyone is focusing on housing and bringing the housing costs down i mean how do you incite uh industry to come in here when i think there's a split on council how they feel about having industry here and whether it's attractive or not because i think it was one of the councils also that proposed that anytime there's a development they have to put in business space like you have to do that and and what the talk was i think it was uh the counterpoint was that there's no demand for these spaces so are you is so how, how do we fix that? To yeah, keep, I mean, keep I don't, diversity. you know, it just makes my head hurt. And please don't call me a developer when you get asked to give 500 or 1,000 square feet of commercial space in the, in, in the middle of a residential neighborhood. I hope that developer doesn't call me because I can't help them because it's not leasable. It might be to a massage therapist or something like that, but it's not a, it's not a big win, right? Um, I think big wins are when we get volumes of inventory being built, right? I think there's great opportunity on the ocean front. It's tricky. Um, I know that those guys will do what they can to make it happen and it, it will happen down there. You know, they've got some larger square footages planned. Um, I know there's an application by Saltaire right now across from the house on Brew Pub where they're agreeing to uh, deliver a significant amount of office and retail space. And I mean, they'll build it. You know, so I, I work for them. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not objective, but um, City Sky Business Park, even when the market was tough, they built it. They're big enough. They're capitalized enough. They're kind of committed enough. They see the long vision in it. It's not the product they probably wanted, but they're, they'll do it, right? Um, I think when we say, hey, you have to you know, deliver this 500 square feet there and 400 square feet there, great. We need our street frontage to be commercial. Second floor office space, um, it's okay. I mean, the residential numbers are strong enough to get that stuff built, it would appear. But um, I am still waiting to see one of those six-story buildings with second-story office space built. And I'm not saying that that's holding it back specifically. But you cannot pre-lease the office space. It's a 24-month build on a larger building. It's typical Squamish. You're lucky to start signing those tenant deals six months before completion, right? Like Cedar Sky Business Park, it would take me like eight months to pre-lease a building to like 30%. And then once you're under construction, you know, because it's a nine-month delivery, it happens very quickly. And so the demand is there, but it's not long demand. Organized, established businesses are looking a further way out, and they can commit, and they'll see what they need. But... Um, we do have a lot of smaller businesses, as you pointed out, and a lot of them aren't comfortable making commitments two years out, right? And so it's tricky. I'm not saying we don't need to induce it. We need to make it happen to an extent, but we also need to just make sure it gets built. And I don't care if a developer makes some money and you know gets more feet on the street downtown that supports the retail businesses as long as they can park it. I say that because I think we're going to have a parking problem, build a parkade. <laughs> yeah, that's you know? another issue that always <laughs> right? comes up, yeah. Right? So, no, I mean, so, you know, it, it's, it's, I think there's a lot of good things happening. Um, you know, and I just, I just, you know, I, I'm just cautious not to overplay our hand on, on that um, commercial inducement, just to make sure the feasibility is lining up. Because what would be, what, what? Let me tell you, let me tell you what you want to see. Let me tell you what will fill up. Cornerstone building. Michael Hutchison built it with a group of 
those other people in a venture downtown, right? That is what you want. You want dedicated commercial space. The thing that's tricky when you build a six-story building with second floor office space is you've got a shared elevator, you've got, you know, you know, mama with, you know, some lady with her little foo-foo dog is pooing on the elevator and you're trying to go up and see your doctor. And so suddenly you're going to have to have two elevators or, right? I mean, or, or you're, you're, you're having this integration of uses that don't mesh together that well. And so it's so much nicer if we can find a way to get these five-story commercial buildings built. I don't know if a tax incentive is enough. I think it's really market demand catching up. And so, All right. you know. That's a good point. And it's one that has been brought up. Although I think Ted Pryor was very, he was very cool to the second story office space. Yeah. Well, I know Susan and Ted went back and forth and it was hard to keep up. They're going back and forth the entire time. It was, it was pretty, it was, it was good. But I think you made the most, I think you made the most articular argument against it. I think yeah. that's, and what, what, you know, because Ted, I mean, what shocked me when I talked, when we talked to Ted was when he's like, if you uh, start, you want to start your own business, like you got your tools and you got your pickup truck and you want to go start your own handyman business, don't do it here. Don't do it well, here. His recommendation as a sitting Squamish counselor was to leave, yeah. to leave down. That's basically there, what he's saying. There's no set up though. That's no, and that's exactly. bang on. I mean, Ted, Ted, Ted's in, you know, he's, he's attached to real estate for a long time and he gets it and, you know. Um, we're losing all our shop space. So we've got this Grace Business Park that probably has a em higher employee count per acre. Salaries might be the same or higher, lower. I don't know. That probably varies by business. But all these guys who are great contributors to our economy, they're great spenders in our economy, um, can't find a 1,500-square-foot shop. I mean, I could, I could, if people would build it, whether it's leasing, we would love to see more Strata Park product come to market. Um, we could just do one building after another in the business park. That's the reality. But the problem is, is land values and rents are 100% decoupled from an investment standpoint. You could never buy land at what it would cost you in the business park today as a private developer and be like, this is a reasonable return, right? And so, you know, it's great that a bunch of people entered the market years ago and they're developing. But the new people coming in, it's it's a challenging business model, right? And I mean, stuff will get built, it'll happen, but rates will go up and costs will go up. It'll get harder for businesses to operate. I mean, that's the only way you can manage that, right? So, Well, whenever we have this affordable housing conversation, the employment lands always come into it. And I guess the thinking is that we have more people living and working here. It somehow becomes more affordable. but I And that's sort of become accepted wisdom, but I don't know if that if those numbers really skew, I don't know if that's really lines up. I mean, maybe it makes more sense for people to commute. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure that I could directly correlate affordability on housing to that at all. Um, and I might be ignorant to some connection there. You know, when I look at it, I'm excited. Like the people who are choosing to, like you made a comment, how do we induce industry businesses and don't let's not, you know, and I'm not saying that you suggested that, but I, I don't want to spend money trying to say, Hey, why don't you come and set up in Squamish? Because I've been down the road. I've been doing this for 13 years now in Squamish or something like that. And I've gone through the process before where you're trying to reach out to Squamish and get people coming in. And there's great companies that have had interest before. But the first thing that they do um, is uh, they look at their HR list of where everybody that they've got in their North Van facility or the Vancouver Burnaby facility works. And they're like, who are we going to lose if we make the move? And it's just a short conversation, right? So I don't, uh, generally speaking, going after the 20 and the 40 and the 50,000 square foot tenants, sure, one of them might come along, we might get one eventually. But the best thing we can do is just continue providing product right now because we've got all these fantastic um, outdoor recreation distributors, manufacturers, all these interesting people that have chosen to live in Squamish. Like it really is a unique melting pot here. There, you meet people, you're just surprised. Like, oh, he's the CFO, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm like, you, there's so many interesting people that have deep business connections that when they can set up their businesses here. And that's what you want is that guy who's got, you know, five employees, 10 employees. They push their operation up here. They lose a couple employees. They hire a couple of new ones. And then they have orga organic growth here. And, and, and their people are here working. I mean, that, that's right. the best scenario, in my opinion. And we see that over and over again, so long as there's space. Right. And we have to look past the, the plant, the, the head plant sort of mentality where we have a big plant with 200 cars parked out front as opposed to like maybe you know, two dozen, like you say, two dozen, five, 10 employee businesses, which actually probably on a per employee, uh, on per employee earnings, they're probably, you know, those types of business, if they're rec tech or just tech, they're probably making more money than say, you know, a manufacturing plant. No. Yeah. And I mean, I hate to get like 
finance oriented on it, but that's, that's my background before I got into my fun job of real estate a long time ago. And I mean, a really good way to look at it is when you're, when you're managing retail, right? Like I used to work with Shoppers Drug Mart, not in finance. I just stocked their shelves when my dad was an executive in the pharmacy business, right? And so those guys, like in those businesses, they manage their revenue by the square inch. And I'm not joking you. They've managed their, self, their shelf space and their contribution margin by the, uh, by the square inch, okay? And so when we look at employment density, I don't, I'm not saying that we, we, we need, like we definitely need a mix of industrial space so we can provide for all types of businesses so we can operate. But when someone says, take this 15 acres and put five employees on it with a bunch of guys who may have some, you know, they may spend a bunch of money around town on supply chain, you know, like on, on their inventory on whatever they're working, fabricating, yada, yada, um, or turn around and build 125,000 square feet of tilt up concrete where there might be 250 employees, um, you know, it's pretty easy to do the math on the local spending. Um, property taxes will be higher, right? But I'm cautionary on that just because we need to we need to find it all, unfortunately. But I think I'm not sure that we can any longer afford to allocate 100 acres to one business if it's a you know what I mean. Like I mean, there's there's money coming through, but it's not our choice ultimately either, right? I mean, you got private industry making these decisions as well, right? So. In my opinion, the best thing that we can do is just induce the creation of commercial product. Um, I don't know if that's that might even just be prioritizing applications, because it's right. I mean, and I don't yeah, you know, yeah. I, just commercial applications. I mean, I think if you polled myself and you know the two or two or three or four other really active commercial realtors in town, I'll bet you that they would agree that we are lucky to entertain twenty percent of the inquiries we get for for purchasing commercial space or leasing commercial space for business yeah, coming out of the lower mainland. Well, I've definitely seen a shift both I'd say from the, well, mainly, mainly the, on the political side from 10 years ago when it was always about residential versus commercial. It was always about, you know, it was always about, we have to prioritize employment lands. Whereas now it's that, that is pretty much gone. I mean, yes, people, we don't want to be, I mean, you know, we may not want to be a commuter community, but we are. But, you know, ideally we want as many people living and working here as we can. However, that said, there is definitely the realization that, I mean, just forget about it. we got to build residential. we got to build as much residential as we can pack in. I mean, that's just, that's just the reality. Yeah, and I, I, think, I think I would agree with many of the counselors that we want to be caught, like, you know, I don't want to see the industrial land base substantially shrinking. Um, and, but it just, it has to be neighborhood specific where it makes sense. There's opportunities to expand industrial and there's areas where it just no longer makes sense because of adjacency to residential density and living. And, um, you know, you, you kind of have to manage that integration as best as you can. I think we've done an okay job with that. Um, you know, and I don't, I don't agree that, you know, like, Hey, let's just support every residential development and ignore commercial. Like, uh, you know, we, we, we need to be cognizant of doing what we can. Um, you know, and, but I mean, it's the cart before the horse tree. Like I'll use downtown as the example where we've got all this great potential commercial space on the ocean front. You've got willing capitalized partners down there that want to build it. They almost need downtown to continue to develop just to get that demand built up. Right? Like you can't go, you can't go put two eight story towers beside each other, four blocks across a dirt field from the closest pub. It just doesn't work. Right. They're going to need seven or eight hundred dollars a foot to make sense of the expensive construction down there, at least, at least, right? Yeah. And so, you know, unless someone's willing to spend like two hundred million dollars and build a whole block at once, which it just doesn't happen like that, right? So, it's important that we continue what we're doing, which is supporting Cleveland Avenue growth, Second Avenue downtown densification, because those feet on the street get it more vibrant. It pushes the development down. Excited to see, you know, excited to see the main under construction just north of the House and Brew Pub there excited to see other stuff selling on Cleveland Avenue and vicinity that's going to be firing up this year for construction. You know, the gateway to Squamish Jumar, that'll be under construction this summer. Um, Michael Hutchinson's building along the Mamquem Channel. He's invested heavily in getting that going there and making it happen. And so, you know, you're, you're seeing that trickling down the peninsula and that really is the key to unlocking the commercial down the way. So um, I think it's important that we make that stuff happen as fast as possible because, you know, the demand for that other product that will get the commercial built. Um, it needs to see that infill development, in my opinion, unless it's an industrial, right? But I think down there, it'll be a different type of industrial, more marine-oriented, if anything. So you, you'll want that connection, right? Yeah, and I think it's a very good point, because I think what happens with a lot of this planning is that we talk about, 
oh, we're going to build this here. We're going to well, okay, that's great. It's great that we have these plans, and I like most of the plans that has been put forward by council. But you're right, the market dynamics is really what's going to control how these things go. And as you say, it looks like it is progressing the way that we want it to. You know, no, it's it's going fantastic now. It's exciting. You know, like you, you see my fancy haircut. I go see I go see Tony, and he he gets, he shaves my head every couple That's of weeks. Right? Fancy. You have the same fancy haircut I have. Yeah, like, run and the so, clippers through it. Yeah, no, my, good old Tony. My wife doesn't like the hair. That's all it took because it's so easy, right? But you know, we we're like it's kind of nice. We've got, we finally got something to talk about here. You know, you see you see the stuff happening, and it's it, it's nice to see it coming together. But one thing, you know, I look at this, and you guys have seen it. Like you know, we we've been in this town long enough. Where we've seen everything, we think it's ramping up before and things can get quiet. And I, and I think we're dealing with a different market than we were in 08 or 07. Like, I don't think we're going to see that kind of adjustment. But investment sentiment can change very quickly. Right now, like just, you know, provincial um, North American government issues. A lot of people are being a little bit more cautious about their decision making or even developers. Like I'm at the I'm at both ends of the cycle because I sell land. I kind of hold my developers hands, you know, if they want it during the application process and then frequently I'm involved in the sales of the product and I'm seeing already today this, this the even though it's been crazy coming under lower manly and you can't find sites anywhere people are getting a sharper pencil they're like okay are we going to hold it 650 to 700 square foot in condos or is it going to keep going up and most of them are pretty positive that Squamish is going to maintain or go up but they're cautious and that slows down that investment where we're overburdened one day and then suddenly we may not be. And I think that they're going to be swamped at the city for a very long time. Like, I don't, I think they'll just get a reasonable balance for maybe six months in between. But, um, you know, there's, you know, things can change. Well, you know? I mean, we're talking about business and how the, the you know, council's getting business going and development going. There's one side I don't think we've discussed. And I think because you've, you've lived through from, especially with the Jumar building, like the people here. Um, they they might not understand why things are going the way they are, but I, there's a big sentiment that they're not liking it. For example, your Jumar building that you're building downtown, the Gateway, there is such backlash to that building. I mean, they had their chance to speak up. They missed out on it and they got signed. But then that's what I'm saying about uh, identity, maintaining the identity of what this town is with the growth. And if that, if do you feel that that's, that's being accomplished or let's just push through anyway? You know, no, you know what? I, no, I, I do think actually a lot of thought went into. I mean, that that particular that particular file, and I'm I'm just handling the the ground level commercial on that file. But you know, the history there, like there there was a, a use that was getting very strong community pushback, which was an oil and lube was under the previous zoning. It was light industrial zoned, and so based on that community pushback, um, a more mixed use downtown zone was put in place on that property. And so, you know, most people have no reason to be intimate with the actual process on how these things unfold. But by the time that developer was involved, the zoning was already in place. It, was, it wasn't zone C4 for six stories. It was zone C4, which allows what it is. You know, C1 would only allow four stories. That rezoning took place kind of under the lens of whomever was pushing back. And maybe they, they saw that as a better outcome, but didn't look at what could have been built there. And so there might have been, um, you know, some misunderstanding by those people that were opposed to it. And I can understand it's a, it's a big change, like, you know, for that school. I don't, uh, I, I can see how a lot of people would be, you know, apprehensive and, and just, you know, skeptical on how it's going to unfold. But at the end of the day, the community spoke up and said, we don't like the zoning here. We don't like the application. Council changed that zoning um, based on a combination of feedback and what made sense for the gateway. And although I get, and I'm not making any friends by saying this, that, you know, it's, it's going to be an, like, if that was, you know, that much density in front of my little elementary school, whatever, I, I would struggle with it. It would take me a while to accept, but this is downtown Squamish, right? This is downtown Squamish is changing. And one very important thing with that whole section there is kind of like a bit of a gateway corridor to downtown and having kind of an inviting indication that there's something beyond that gateway something beyond the first mall and that help help that people realize that we're not just a strip mall on the highway that's ex exactly it alan right and it gets people coming downtown and so there is a benefit there and, and not everybody will see it that way they'll be like oh what are you talking about you know because they'll have their position which is a fair position but really like you go into a town you've never been to before we're all guilty of it right you're in the interior of bc and there's a, a bunch of magical stuff in that town that if you spend some time to find out you would and you might just be going in on a trip with your family and you kind of see what you see so if it just induces people to come down and see what we got if that's something that we care about 
you know, and I'm, I've got mixed opinions on that. I don't know if I care, right? But that's what people want. People want them to come downtown. People the downtown want, businesses care. They do. They want people. Well, yeah, again, it comes and down to speaking the, like tr- daily tourist traffic. Well, that's, that's know, what like we're talking I, about the diversification of, of uh, income for the, the district, right? Because I mean, the property taxes have been what? It's definitely twice the size, twice uh, the inflation rate. Because I mean, about ten years ago, I was paying about thousand bucks. Yeah. You know, property tax. Now I'm paying four. So it's it's one of those things where it's where we're talking about if we're growing the, the, the community in such a way that we we diversify and we we grow in a perfect way that also we bring property taxes down but yet we have a flourishing economy and so it's it's finding that balance right so yeah no and I agree and and I, and I think and I'm not an expert in the infrastructure stuff specifically but um I, I believe that um you know when we're when we're plugging in the density in areas that already have existing infrastructure. Um, and maybe making minor capacity upgrades uh, as opposed to rebuilding infrastructure or adding to it. Um, it's just cheaper, cheaper tax revenue for the city, for sure. So you're, you're, you know, you've got to deliver the density. We can't ignore the influx of population and managing these things. You're, you're going to do it where the existing infrastructure is. I agree with that. And on the property tax side, like, I mean, the one thing I see is, you know, and I didn't pay attention to it, you know, you see taxes going up, but I think for 10 or 15 years, this town did not put the money in the ground that, that maybe they should have, right? And I'm not pointing at any particular council. I think it might have even been before my time where we weren't keeping up. They um, didn't, but they, it was also wood fiber. Wood fiber was the largest uh, uh, tax uh, source of tax revenue for the district. And yeah. it's never been replaced. Yeah, and so the, the money wasn't there. So they put a the, huge hole in their budget. <clears throat> totally. There's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. So that's, I'm not being critical of a decision specifically, but we're playing catch up now. And there's only two ways to do it, um, you know, raising taxes, uh, DCCs, really. I mean, and then you get these rezoning. Sometimes you get some little freebies, but usually the strain on the area is an offset with the freebie. You know what I mean? Like where a developer goes and spends a million bucks, you know, on infrastructure, you know, they're also drawing on capacity, yada, yada, right? So it's really DCCs and property tax increases that we have at our disposal. And so I'm just happy when I see pipe getting replaced, all that kind of stuff that needs to get done. And I have a feeling we're not going to see property taxes going down, but I think it needs to be under control as well, for sure. Um, I haven't peeled apart the budget in the last several years. Like four or five years ago, I had that kind of energy, I think, but I'm pretty sure I don't right now. <laughs> it's because of two young kids, but you know, but you know, it, it matters. Like you got to have a sharp pencil. But the, lar- the largest revenue, spend- the largest revenue providers right now are Home Depot and and Walmart. Right. So if you want your property taxes to stay low, just approve wood fiber LNG. Oh, and we'll have a t- that's a whole other conversation oh, but bum, I mean, bum, bum. if you want uh, if you want the revenue there you go that's <laughs> well that, no that's and, and that's right and, there and all that stuff you know like it, i don't i think it's great that we you know we've got big contributors the port's a huge contributor on, pro- on property taxes as well oh, yeah i've always got i misspoke yeah actually they're the largest then walmart and depot yes. yeah and and, it, and i mean it's important that, that all those things keep moving but at the same time I don't like, I mean, putting the burden. And I, I want to give an example because you hit property taxes, commercial property taxes. Let's take a moment here because one of the things that, that I'll tell you from a, a political sentiment, it's easier to increase commercial property taxes and residential property taxes by the simple math of the fact that there's more people that own residential homes than there are commercial owners. The problem is that I own like a little bit of commercial real estate, not a lot, okay? And so the way it works when you have a tenant is you know triple net there's a basic rental amount that pays your rent and then there's something called additional rents or triple nets the term people use both and that's the combination of property taxes and you know operating costs cleaning maintenance whatever right like a strata fee that gets charged back to the tenant and so when when property taxes get increased to a landlord he's disappointed to hear that but he actually doesn't care deep down inside he might complain about it but it's typically the tenant's cost but every time we reach out and do that and, and we increase the commercial taxes, perhaps more than you know pushing on the residential because there's a pushback from the general population, those small businesses in many cases are getting like a, a tough cost kind of that they need to absorb whether they like it or not. And I'm not even sure in all instances that, um, that the connections made in an emphatic way that, hey, my rents got up because the property taxes went up, right? Like they're just like, why is rent so high, right? You know what I mean? Like because people they just don't get into the they and don't the, go down the rabbit it, hole, right? And it goes so. down to basically the economy too, getting the local mom and pa's to open places here, right? Like I said, you have to hit the ground running to be able to afford the living. And if property taxes go up, it's the same thing. It makes it tougher for the local economy to flourish. 
Yeah, it does. Um, the landlords don't care, but both Marcus and I have been tenants yeah. and had to pay well, I'm those. I'm currently a tenant. Yeah, Marcus <laughs> is still currently a That's tenant. That's right, yeah. And yeah. we've had to pay those increases, and it does. It makes it hard to start a small business when you're faced with you know, rapidly increasing costs. Uh, increasing costs, not rapidly, but, but I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it, you know, costs are going up fairly quickly. Yeah, and so I mean, this this is one of the things, and I'm, and I'm not criticizing the, the current tax level specifically because I haven't I haven't peeled the onion, but um, you know, th there was an increase I think this year, and I mean, they 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 backed off on it, you know, to an extent, which is great that the conversation was had, but I mean, you look at almost anywhere, I mean, commercial taxes, business taxes usually supplement residential infrastructure. And um, why, why that model exists that way, if it works for some fantastic reason, I don't know. But it's something we need to be very thoughtful of moving forward um, because, you know, sometimes I think instead of people being worried about their taxes increasing, they should just be worried about how their taxes are being spent first and then increasing second. Because I feel that what uh, a community like Squamish can do sometimes is people show up saying taxes are out of control. you got to lower them. you got to lower them. But not looking at what actually has to go away that we want in order to keep the taxes down like a new rec center or you know what i mean like these things cost money over time and everybody can get excited about them but everything costs money and you know it has to be managed and so you know we may have twice as much density built right now if we hired more planners more inspectors more engineers um, I don't know which areas they're deficient in. I think, you know, some areas they are, some areas they're okay. But for sure, there's some areas down there where they're manpower. Like, I, I feel for these people because like, they, I can just are, tell they've never had a chance to come up for air in like five years. They right? are swamped. Like, they are swamped. Right? And, they're, like, and they're also facing huge projects that they really, I, that it's questionable that they have the funding for. I mean, mainly the rec center, second ice sheet, which, you know, the community's crying out for. They're facing a lot of big projects. Plus, they're being slammed with all these developments. I mean, yeah, I agree with you. You got to sympathize with them. They're doing. They've got a huge work. They're earning their salaries. There's no yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. I'm just because when I talk about diversification of property taxes, I'm trying to make a bridge here because I mean, you do the commercial side and you understand how it works and the, and how it works. And we're looking at development of the town. And then there's still, like I said, the people in this town. The sentiment is is uh, is a mixed one. I mean, especially with the Garibaldi Estates, with the golf course, what they're planning on doing here, and then the Jumar. So it's a question of finding that like that common ground and have an understanding that the people like listening to the people having felt that their voices have been heard. Right. So just a development, just for the sake of developing, because oh, that's going to be good for Squamish. And this is why I keep preaching about identity and having, keeping, maintaining identity because yeah, there, there are some, a lot of new blood in town, but there's still a lot of old blood in town who likes, you know, who still have that old town feel. I, I know we're never going to have that old town again. We're done, but it's just a question of maintaining, uh, I guess a sort of integrity of what Squamish is. And this, this is why I keep bringing it up because the, you know, development is fine. I mean, we need development. We need to grow, especially to keep up with market demands. Otherwise we just end up burning the cost ourselves. But it's a, uh, it's just, I don't think the residents of Squamish kind of understand this is the sentiment I'm getting is that they just like, they want to keep it the way it is. But, yeah, but everybody does. If yeah. you ask, if you ask 10 people, probably you'll get 10 saying, I like it the way it is. They did it in Vancouver. They did a survey of one neighborhood and people said, yeah, we want better transit. We want better schools. We want improved infrastructure, but we only want single family. I mean, yeah. there's a total disconnect from the reality. And, and so how do you, how do you make them connected back to reality? Squamish, the reality was, I mean, it was disconnected from the city up until 1956. So, I mean, what's Squamish? I mean, we're not a logging town anymore. We haven't been for 15 years. We're not an industrial town. The, you know, the town's going to change. So trying to, trying to sort of take a snapshot and saying, well, I like it. I like it this way. Now don't change a thing. That's just not well, reality I, I, anywhere I, in the world. I concur with that sentiment, yeah. but it's just, it's also keeping everybody else happy. I mean, you still want your people who live here to be happy and sort of support the town and do the sort of things you want to do. And I get it. Change has changed, but it's, it's keeping the people on board, you know, and, and sort of, you know, keeping them uh, aware of what's happening. So, uh, and an agreement that what's happening because we we sit here we see the big picture right we understand what the market is we we talk to everybody on both angles and we we get it but like you know when you I said when you, the guy who lives over there might not feel the same way as we do yeah but is Darren everyone's an MBE it's yeah. true they are yeah exactly not in my backyard yeah I'm all for you know you know abstractly I might be for oh the trails or you know that downtown or 
whatever it is, but uh, if it's going right up next to me, no, I don't want that. Yeah. Forget that. No, <laughs> Not here. Like I don't, I don't envy the position of um, being a municipal decision maker. Like when you watch politics, I think it's actually probably one of the toughest, toughest layers of politics to work because, like you know, the federal government, you got like a security team around you. Because you're like right that, there. Right? Like nobody's bugging. Yeah, you're, you're right there like answering you're, to the people. Yeah, yeah you just, just want to buy yeah. some eggs and you have to listen to it. And 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 the problem is with That's all true. of us, yeah. and I'm yeah. guilty of it too. Right. Because we're all busy, we're all working, we all have families. Is issue comes on our plate, and there's something we don't like, and you're you're going to be bullheaded and not open minded about it because your position is that way for a reason coming into it, and you don't reconcile the whole breadth of the issue to what's the best community decision or whatever your constituents voted you in on, depending on how you make your decisions. Where you know, for all of us, it's quick in and out. Oh, that person, you know that person's a dummy because they didn't do this or that, you know, it's pretty easy to say, but I mean, when you look at all the issues, like, look, it's very complicated. There's no, like, honestly, like the, the housing issues and everything that we're facing, like the problem is there's no like magic solution to any of it. And so, you know, we do the best that we can to, to facilitate, you know, moving forward with the things that we can, but it's, <laughs> it's challenging. Yeah. Right. And well, so election it's easy to criticize, too. but you know, it's like, and it's an election year. So you're going to see how the town really feels. Right. Cause at the yeah. end of the day, you need, you need, you need government to sort of help you do the developments. But if you know, if someone, the town elects people who are not that type of forward thinking, then, I mean, then, then we, what, what happens? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, no, we, who, who are we going to be? Right. And exactly. I mean, you know, it, yeah, no, it's interesting. And I mean, people need to be very engaged, um, you know, when that decision-making process is taking place on, on who's going to lead the community. And for me, I, I touched on this earlier, like for me, I've watched this long enough and my business is, you know, attached to policy, really not, not too much else than that. Um, just understanding the policy that's going on is important for me. But, um, you know, when you have what would appear to be a handful, like maybe majority of, you know, the, the counselors stepping down, if you've got half or more of them stepping down, um, you know, it's challenging because all these issues are five, 10, 15 years deep. And there really is an importance to maintaining yeah those people with the history in that group, right? You know, to, to make sure there's a, a clean handoff of the issues and just um, a depth of understanding before making decisions. Because I mean, you get like 200 page reports, a couple They're times for a council. week. They're in for council, or is that like a conflict in of interest? Twenty thirty-two. <laughs> well, I, I think we got to wrap it up. But yeah, with, exactly. With yeah. that said, Darren, I hope you'll come back on in yeah. the fall, and we'll really get into the the local politics and have a rundown. We'll probably have an idea of who's running and who's not running. Oh, exactly. At that point. We, hopefully, and, we'll do a lot of uh, that coverage for maybe, sure. Maybe we'll do a little dissection of who best has the answers for how to take be like into the Darren future. editorial Darren politics quarter. We'll call it that. But yeah, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll speak more freely in the fall when I'm ready. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, all right. Dun. In the meantime, thanks so much for coming on and offering all your insights on the local housing market. Cause as I've said before, I don't think anybody gets tired of talking about real estate. No it's everyone's favorite conversation but so far in this town. Yes. And that, I'm glad to think that, uh, you know, the development of the project, well, how it's going right now is, is positive and that it's good for t the town. It's always good news to hear that where where you have counselors on the first one sort of disagree but then you know they come out with certain proposals and if, if people like you who are well well versed in what's happening in the economics and how it works with the uh the industry and the growth of this town you're saying yeah it's good then you know there is there is a, a positive to it there's a positive like there's you can end this sort of on a positive note it's nice it happens sometimes <laughs> this is the sea to sky podcast if you have a comment or story ideas please check out our website at sea to sky or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky Podcast. Thank you for clicking us on.